This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. And you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Well, hello and welcome to Albion Analysis. Me, Chris Hall and him, Pete George. Uh, well, before we get started looking at last night's game, just to let you know the format over the uh, over the next um, week or so. Uh, obviously, we've got three games in fairly cro- close proximity to each other, which does present a little bit of a scheduling challenge for Pete and I. But we are going to try and deliver a podcast after each game. However, you will probably notice that these podcasts are going to be a bit shorter than usual. So, It is going to be shorter podcasts because there's quick turnaround between the games. I need to turn around the podcasts quite quickly for you to listen to them before the next match. And obviously around Christmas as well, we just need to kind of schedule them around our our families and our other commitments and everything like that. So, as I say, the we'll try, we'll, we will try and deliver podcasts, obviously one today, one after the Boxing Day game, one after the 29th, and then uh, one after the second. But you might notice that they are a little bit shorter than usual. So just a caveat there. Anyway, jumping into last night's game. And Pete, obviously disappointing. Five wins on the spin coming in. We didn't turn in the performance that I think anybody would have wanted us to. Um but nonetheless, could have could have got away with a point. Or to be honest, had the chances in the game to to smash and grab it and get more, which we'll come to in a little bit. But I mean, just 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 to just to start off, why the performance was off the levels that we expect. This is an, an Albion analysis pod, and by virtue of that, we tend to analyse West Bromwich Albion. But sometimes you have to give credit to the opposition, don't you? And I mean, Coventry. Oh my goodness me, were they at it from the off. Callum O'Hare, I don't know where he gets his energy from, but what a little player he is. I thought Gustavo Hamer was unbelievable in the middle. And I went to look at the data because I I, I considered this after the, uh, after the game. And I wasn't shocked to see that they won twice as many tackles as us, 24 versus 12. 
Uh, they had a much higher tackle success rate, 89% to 67%, and they had 13 uh, interceptions to seven. That was where the game was won, wasn't it? it? It was like they were basically twice as busy as us in the middle of the park, and they they dominated us in the, in those areas. And whilst, and we will look at the Albion side of it and question whether we wanted it enough on the night... You have to give credit to Coventry that I I haven't seen a team come out of the blocks like that in the championship in a very, very, very long time and be that energetic and busy in midfield. And whilst we will come to talk about the Albion side of it, I think there's a lot of credit has to go to Coventry because I don't think there's many sides that will have the energy and desire and will to play for their manager to do what they did to us last night for a prolonged period of the game. Yeah, Coventry were... Excellent. Um, and as the two players he mentioned there were both very good, as well as Yokerez, um, and Ben Sheaf. Um, I mean, Yokerez is just probably one of the best, if not the best striker in the championship at the minute. So good at running with the ball and, and finding space to get shots off in the box as well. Um, and credit to Alex Palmer to keeping it to only the penalty because the way Yokerez was playing, it could have been, we could have conceded a lot earlier than we did. Um, so yeah, I think. Coventry deserve credit. I think we were a few players were just maybe not on it. Some silly mistakes, silly decision making that meant that we didn't um, make the most to attacking. But Coventry were were very good. To be fair to them, yeah. And you mentioned Alex Palmer there. Let's just talk about him for a minute because I think you know going back some weeks when he started getting into the side. I think Pete, your, yours and my take was. Um, he's better than Button, but we're not sure whether he's the long-term solution. I think at the point at which he got into the team, I think both you and I were questioning whether or not we needed to do something in January, whether that might be, mean bring Josh Griffiths back or or even look at look at a, a lone goalkeeper from the Premier League. Okay, there was one cross he flapped at last night, which nearly cost us, I think it was from a corner. But aside from that, I mean, he's made a couple of decent saves and he's made one unbelievable save the save he makes with his leg i think it's jockerish with the header at the back post is i'm I'm, yeah i'm gonna stretch i'm gonna say this it's peter schmeichel-esque you know the way he he always came out and spread his body in that starfish position and made himself absolutely massive that's what it reminded me of it's a phenomenal save and i have to say week in week out as i watch alex palmer i'm thinking he's growing into that number one shirt yeah, so he definitely is. There's a couple of, you know, heart in my mouth moments where he, like that cross he flapped at and there's one through ball that he came out to collect and somehow spilled it on the edge of his area. But, you know, he, he went out and cleared it and made up for that mistake. But his shot stopping Without on the Without defending was... him too much, I felt like that, that was that was partly down to indecisive defensing, the, the, the one which he came out and spilled, though. And I think everyone thought it was offside, which it looked like to me, but wasn't wasn't given so um but either way he made up for for that and um shot stopping was very good i was thinking during the game that if this game was played towards the start of the season then we could have been two or three down with the amount of long shots they were having um but you know alex palmer dealt with them even though some of them were pretty tricky there was one that in particular that seemed to be moving in the air a lot but he he managed to tip over um so yeah i thought he was he was very good and kept us in it for for large periods of the game. 
And just going back to, I mean, the, the data that I reeled off at the start, um, Cov winning twice as many tackles as 24 versus 12, much greater tackle success rate, nearly twice as many interceptions. They won the midfield battle, Pete. And we, look, we, we've had every reason to be very, very positive about our manager um, over the last five games. And certainly one mistake does not make a bad manager. I'm not getting at Carlos because he's done an unbelievable job up to this point. But, you know, we are an analysis podcast. We have to look at things cold and we, uh, to a certain degree and uh, and without, without the emotion of the fact that we do love the manager. And just in the cold light of day, and I think probably he'd admit this as well, did he get it wrong last night? Because we spoke on the previous pod about what we expected him to do. And I, and I, and I think I, I said on that pod, I'd be surprised if we didn't go back to Malumbi and, uh, and Yukoslu in the middle of the park, because the first thing we have to do is win the midfield battle against the likes of O'Hare, Hamer and Sheaf. Well, he picked Swift, Yukoslu, Rogic in there and, Swift and Rogic didn't have much of a game at all, to be honest with you. And we got beat up in the middle of the park and and, and the game changed on Malumbi coming in. And I have to say, I think he got it wrong and Malumbi should have been in there from the off. See, I'm not entirely sure he got it wrong. I think he made a decision to maybe sit off more and then try and counter-attack and that being our way of creating chances, which we did on a couple of occasions. But we just, I think, poor decision-making in the final third was kind of costed us when Wallace went through. I think it would have been better off squaring it. There was Thomas DeSante and someone else, maybe Rogic, square that he could have passed it to for basically an open goal. Um, and there was a couple of other occasions. I think Swift had one on the left wing in the second half where we won it back high. And he was two on one with a defender, but he tried to take the defender on rather than passing it to Townsend. Um, so I think... If our decision-making was better and we're more clinical on the counter-attack, then we could have easily won the game, which obviously isn't Corbrand's fault. Um, no, so but, think- e- but equally, just a devil's advocate that, Pete, I mean, they had as many big chances as we did. And, uh, you know, we uh, I felt like we gave up a lot of those and gave up a lot of possession in the middle of the park. Yeah, I think, I think we definitely did. And I think we were also a bit sloppy in defence at times, um, kind of struggled to tackle people that were dribbling and um, pick up some runners. Yeah, I think he was kind of accepting that we weren't going to have too much in the middle and just kind of, we either pressed high if they beat that, then we got got back quickly and just sat into a, a low block a lot of the time. So I think that was more of a decision. I, yeah, yeah, like I said, I'm not sure he got it wrong. He could have gone into the game with Mullumby and tried to battle for the midfield, which we ended up doing in the second half and trying to take control of the game. Um, but which is when we did. I mean, that, uh, but, but, but then you, I mean, and uh, I suppose you could, you could tell me whether you believe that that's actually due to the fact that Cov ran out of steam because we've actually seen a number of times this season Cov do run out of steam later on in games because of the way they play. I mean, they conceded three goals on Saturday from a three nil up position. So maybe that's just something that happens to them. Uh, and maybe Malumbi coming on just kind of coincided with that period of game of a game where Cov naturally ran out of steam, but it did seem like the substitutions Malumbi and Gardner Hickman and people like that coming on seemed to coincide with us taking control of the game. And actually, ironically, I thought the point at which we lost the game was the point at which we looked the more likely team to win it. Yeah, and I think they did help us control the game. Obviously, Malumbi and Gardner Hickman they bring a lot of energy in the middle and. Um... 
especially Gardner, Gardner Hickman in recent weeks, his passing seems to have improved a lot. He seems very secure in his passing, doesn't seem to give the ball away much and moves it around nicely. Um, but I just, yeah, we, I don't know if we looked more like scoring. I don't think we created too many chances when they came on despite controlling the game. I think we looked most like scoring when it was kind of chaotic and we were on the counter attack. No, no, I get that. I, I just meant it felt like we had more control of the game. I.e., we were winning. We were winning set pieces. We were winning corner kicks. I mean, don't, I don't think we had a corner kick until about the seventy-fifth minute, Pete. You know, I, I, what, I, I appreciate we had the bigger chances earlier on in the game. I just felt like, I suppose, I suppose when I say we look more like more like winning it, I suppose I mean we we look less like losing it um, because we, we we were having more possession in their half and. And we, we were, we were winning set plays, which we were putting into the box. And whilst we weren't creating clear cut chances, the ball was bouncing around and causing them one or two issues. And ironically, that, that sort of, uh, possession in their final third is where the goal comes from. Yeah. And I suppose it's, it just comes down to whether, I mean, I think the first half when we were kind of focusing on the counter attacks, it was a bit of a, just a gamble. You know, if we could end up scoring one of these and we're creating good chances. Um, but, we looked more open at the other end. When the subs were made, we looked in more control of the possession and in more control, probably less likely to score, but also less likely to concede. So, yeah, I, I think it's... For, I just think it's a decision that Corbran made um, and we it just didn't... Well, I mean, it was nil-nil, wasn't it, until late on. But, yeah, I, I don't think it was an awful lineup. Um I think he could have gone the other way and tried to control most of the game. But whether we could have done that against Coventry's midfield, because they do have some great players in there and lots of energy is, is another question. So um, I think, yeah, at the end of the day, we were a bit unlucky conceding the penalty right at the end. Um, well, just on that, Pete, unlucky, yes, but my goodness me, what a shambles. Yeah, and that's what I mean when I said we struggled to deal with people that were dribbling at us. Um, it wasn't the only time that... One of their players managed to dribble past, you know, four or five of our defenders, and then once he got into the box, we just seemed to panic and and commit the foul, which I don't think you can have any arguments about, really. But we haven't panicked in games like that under Corbran a lot, really. I mean that that was a that that was that was a Bruce era trait, and, and uh, I uh, that that was that was what probably disappointed me the most about that moment was that was that was that it felt like a bit of a throwback to what we'd moved away from. I I felt like one of the I mean, we talked about it on the last pod. One of the key facets, I feel, of the Corbran era is this comfort and control. And even in the moments where we can't get a foot on the ball, as as I said, away at Sunderland as an example of that, still feeling an, a modicum of control in the game. I felt like we ceded all control in that moment where, where, where as you say, it was just a total rash panic challenge in the end. That's probably also due to the fact that it was the what, 93rd minute of the game at nil-nil and you've got probably the best striker in the league running at you um, and he's already beaten two or three defenders and it just, yeah, I think I think it was Peters that gave it away in the end but there was a few of them around him and, yeah, just seemed to panic and, and make a bit of a rush challenge and obviously gave away the foul. So, yeah, I agree with what you're saying about it being a bit of a Bruce era trait. Um, but, yeah, I think it was just the pressure of if in the ninety third minute we've held on to this draw and and you got one of the best players running at you, the last thing you want to do is let him get off a shot in the penalty area because you know he's probably going to put it away. 
I just want to touch on Carlos Corbran's um, post-match comments, uh, which uh, which the Albion um, Instagram account posted up um, last night, and because they just they 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 rang a bell with me of a, of a quote that uh, from a film that I've watched many many times, and I'm pretty confident you might have watched once or twice, Pete, um, given your proclivity towards data and analytics. Um, what what Corbran said is that um, he got asked about the players losing the game in the manner they lost it. And he said, it's uh, it's important to have the feeling of losing games because it's the worst feeling in the game and you don't want it. Now, I might be adding two and two together and getting five here, but it just rang a bell with me with a Billy Bean quote from Moneyball, which is, um, I hate losing a lot more than I love winning. Now I'm pretty sure Carlos Corbran will be a bit of a, a bit of a lover of Moneyball, being a being a Bielsa student, being such a student of the game that he is, and I it just it just struck with me because I mean, and the and and maybe again I'm adding two and two and getting five, but I felt like the sideways suggestion there from Carlos Corbran might be that these players haven't hated losing enough in the past, and that is. That is an attitude that he wants to get into the into these players. It was a game where I felt we were beaten for energy and desire over the course of the 90 minutes. And OK, we only lost the game due to a 93rd minute penalty and, and a crazy decision, really, in, in terms of our decision making. Not not in terms of Keith Stroud. There's one of the few times I can't have a go at him. But... Um, but but nonetheless, we were bested over the whole 90 minutes. And I just wonder whether there's a little bit of a question from Corbrand to the players there without actively saying it in public. I wonder whether he's in a veiled way saying publicly, how much do you want this, boys? How much do you hate losing? Forget winning for a second. How much do you actually hate losing? Because bottle that feeling because I don't want guys in my dressing room who are smiling and happy and listening to music after after a defeat i want guys who genuinely can't take it just can't just cannot accept defeat because i tell you what i go back to the days i work i worked at the club and you had jonas olsen's your stephen reeds people like that who did not accept defeat even when they lost a game, they didn't accept defeat. You know, we all remember the incident where Jonas punched a punched a picture at Stoke in the in in the tunnel coming uh, coming back in. And Jonas was a lovely, lovely guy off the pitch, but like um, he he was a born winner. But but more than that, he was born not to lose. And I wonder whether the message from Corbran is quite plain and clear. That is the attitude that I want. What do you think? Well, I'd hope so because. I mean, obviously, it's a very important thing to have if you want to win. You must, you got to hate losing because otherwise, what's the pressure that you're putting on yourself to stop yourself from losing? Um, so I hope he's kind of pushing for that and, and making a point about that. And I hope that the players are feeling it as well. You know, I hope they've gone into the dressing room annoyed with themselves um, and really unhappy that they haven't managed to at least hold on for a draw. Um, and then hopefully we can then see that in the in the next game. Because this is the thing. Sorry, Pete, just to interrupt. Because uh, I, I was just thinking about this. Then, when, when people talk about dressing room bust ups and fights in the dressing room and stuff like that, they talk about it like it's a bad thing. I think back to my days at the club, and I know of numerous incidents where players went for each other in the in the dressing room. But 
it wasn't a bad thing. Like it was, that was, that was passion and desire and not accepting anything less than a hundred percent from each other. And I, the, you know, I'm not going to name names obviously, cause that would be, that wouldn't be right. But I know of players who've had it out with other players in the dressing room after the game because they don't, they don't think that the level that's been delivered from their, from their teammate is the level that they expect and they want to call it out. And I, I, I wonder, I wonder whether there's been enough of those kind of, moments in our dressing room i'm not saying i want to see players coming out the dressing room with black eyes of course i don't but i don't think there's anything wrong with players stepping up to other players and uh, and and saying that was not good enough and i wonder how much that's happened in the last you know 12 months 18 months two years yeah back when you know we're in that in the premier league for an extended period of time there was very clearly some characters in the that you could just tell would be you know, and they would hate losing and they wouldn't be afraid to say it and, you know, try and put things right in the dressing room. If someone wasn't pulling the weight, etc. And you could look at the squad and say we definitely had those sort of characters just in people like you mentioned Jonas Olsen. I mean, I bet Stephen Reed when he was there would be similar. Um, even Foster, I guess, would be. Um, obviously, I don't know them, but. Foster, Macaulay, Brunt, you know, I mean, those three, those three in a much quieter way, but still had extremely high standards. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, last season we were, we spent a, an episode kind of questioning whether the mentality was right in the dressing room. Um, I think after recent results, there's definitely less questions about that, but I think it will be really interesting to see how we, re- we, re- we react to it next game. Cause it's obviously we, we lost the first game under Corbran, but after such a good run of games was, and yeah, it'll be interesting to see can we just bounce straight back to the, our winning ways um, after that. And I think it will, will show you something about the, the group that we've got and, at the minute and, and the way that Corbran wants the dressing room to be. To finish off with a, with a few individual players, Pete, um, for, first of all, one positive, one negative. The negative we'll start with. Um, Tom Rogic, poor last night. Do we need to pick and choose the games that we play him in? Because I, uh, from, I was in the stands uh, with the Albion fans behind the goal and watching it, it felt like the intensity of the game had come as almost a shock to Rogic's system. Is he a very much a horse for a course, as it were? Yeah, I think from what I've seen so far, it looks like he kind of wants to walk around and, and not have too much of a difficult game because obviously he's got a lot of ability. And I mean, I suppose in some ways is obviously a massive comparison and in no way actually representative of their abilities. But in some ways he's kind of like Messi where he's just wants to, you know, do his magic on the ball and hope Messi that wishes he had Rogic's height. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Rogic wishes he had a, a World Cup of Messi's ability. But yeah, I think he wants to walk around the pitch and, and hope that his teammates do most of the off-ball work for him. He was pressing, to be fair to him, and helping out there. But in 50-50s and in tackles... It's not his he... bag, is it? No, not when he's trying to win the ball back. I think he's happy to kind of do the running. Um, I don't think he's particularly lazy, but I think he just um, is a bit weak in challenges and obviously isn't a defensive player. But Some players are good at some things, some players aren't, aren't they? You know, I think, I think, as, you, I think as you say, it's like if a player can't shoot, you accept a player can't shoot. 
as that is a skill set they're lacking. But if a player can't tackle, they get they get branded lazy. And I'm not saying Rogic is lazy, but what I'm saying is in a game where there is it is going to be high intensity in a midfield battle, I wonder whether last night was the game for him. Yeah, and I think he was probably picked due to his ability on the ball. And if we we're trying to focus on counter-attacks, then he's probably the best man we've got at playing accurate through balls. Um, but then maybe if we're going to do that and we want to have some control of the game, then you've probably got to drop swift for someone like Malumbi who is a bit better def- defensively and will probably cover a bit more ground in the midfield. So it's just about getting the balance in the team, isn't it? And in a game, um, well, in a game against a team like Coventry with their midfield and energy in there, if you do want to compete for the midfield and actually kind of have control of the game, you probably can't have both Swift and Rogic in there. But um, I'm sure Cor Brown will learn and, I mean, he might not even, he might be relatively happy with how the game kind of looked of like it was playing out in the counter-attacking sense, kind of end-to-end. Um, and if so, then, then fair enough. But if he wanted a bit more of a control game, then I'm sure he'll learn and, and change the lineup in the future. And I mean, just also in that central midfield area, the, the opposite side of that particular coin, it wasn't a game for Rogic, but it was, it seemed to be a game which Yukoslu reveled in and, Pete, this, the, I mean, he was, for me, outside of Palmer, he was comfortably our best player. The strength on the ball, uh, you know, he, he covered so much grass as well last night. He got in a number of important blocks. I remember one in our penalty area, which definitely would have ended in a goal if he hadn't, if he got, hadn't got in there. And in uh, over the last two or three games, I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, we, we talked I think it was after the Sunderland the, after the Sunderland game on the pod about um, has the World Cup break really, really, really benefited Rogic? But I think you can ask the same question of Yukoslu because he looks like he's back. He's back to the levels that we would ask of him. I suppose the only the only thing we have to be careful of is we saw this early on in the season and we uh, and we burned him out playing him in too many matches and we have to be careful not to do that this time. Yeah, he was excellent. Defensively, won a lot of tackles. It seemed um, just kind of he seemed to read it really well last night. And if they were ever gonna like, if one of their players was dribbling past one of ours, and he kind of read that maybe the next touch was going to be a heavy one, and he would be straight there to pick up the ball, make a tackle. Um, but he didn't really stray from central areas. And made a point of this last night on Twitter, and he, I think he just kind of protected us against when they were trying to counter attack and. Uh, made a lot of those tackles and he seemed a lot more comfortable on the ball as well. I've kind of criticised his passing ability in the in the past. Past, I don't think he tried to do too much with the ball, but he looked comfortable receiving it off the back line and O'Shea in particular and kind of on the half turn and playing out from there rather than just we've seen it over the last couple of years where our central midfielders, if they do receive it off a centre-back, kind of just want to bounce it back to the centre-back and and just not really turn on the ball or or play any forward passes from it. I don't think Yukushu played too many forward passes from it, but he kind of spread it out to, you know, the wing back, well, the full backs or um just kind of passed it on to Well, John they Swift. were wing backs last night, weren't they? I mean, I was just gonna just gonna very briefly touch on this, Pete. The the central the the the, the 
Phillips and um, uh, uh, you know who's supposed to be uh, wide on uh, on the on the one side and Wallace on uh, supposed to be wide on the other really weren't were they? It was so narrow and the only width came from from Furlong and uh, and Townsend. It was yet again an example of um, Corbran playing almost the same group of players but completely changing the way that 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 formation sets up. Yeah, and the kind of formation and where each player was playing changed a lot during the games. Um, Furlong was kind of tucked in when we were building up, playing as kind of like a right centre-back and offering that um, kind of stability if we did lose the ball. Whereas Townsend was much higher and, and wider and was kind of looking like a wing-back and Phillips kind of on the other side as well. So I think we kind of wanted that extra centre-back almost in when we were trying to build up because they were obviously pressing with a front three. So I think we'd have been outnumbered and would have struggled if it had just been a, a flat back four in in possession and well early stages of possession just a word on the on the back four just to finish off pete uh, i i did feel that dara and peter struggled last night you mentioned about the distribution out from the back obviously coventry pressed us high um do you think that either of those are a long-term solution at the at, at center half for us or is it is it a bit of a once we've got Bartley and Ajayi back, revert to type a little bit, revert to the centre halves who got us promoted a few seasons ago? I definitely think it'll be interesting to see. That's kind of me sitting on the fence, but I think our centre backs all just kind of offer so much. They're all very different. Obviously, Ajayi is excellent at. I mean, his biggest strength is probably his pace um, in covering behind and covering big spaces behind him. So he's he's good in a high line. Bartley, kind of the opposite. He's good if you. You're asking him to just basically head away crosses or long balls and, and kind of block shots in the box and defend his box in a bit of a deeper line. O'Shea's probably somewhere in the middle of the two and I'd say he's a bit more comfortable on the ball than the other two. Ajay's very good at carrying it forward, but O'Shea, his passing seems to be seems to be good this season. And Eric Peters, I'm, I would probably put in a similar category to O'Shea maybe. Um, I'm still is that why there's time. a little problem with them as a partnership because they're too similar? Maybe, but I, I don't know if there is a, a massive issue with the partnership at the minute. I think. Yeah, am I just dr- drawing too much into one game here? Possibly. Yeah, well, over the past, um, excluding Coventry, the past five games before that, I don't think we've conceded an xG over one in open play. Obviously, Sunderland had the penalty which tipped it over one, but in open play. In none of the games we conceded an extra over one, so that's one. We still haven't conceded a goal that wasn't a penalty since Sheffield United. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's I I think it's a bit harsh to say that there's an issue with the pairing at the minute. I wouldn't be surprised if Corbran used any of the other centre backs when they're when they're back fit because they are good players, and it probably depends on the opposition and how he wants to set up for the game. And lastly, I imagine that the fundamental overriding message as we as we go into Christmas is is one of goodwill, Pete, and and that maybe you know whilst last whilst Wednesday night against Coventry was disappointing, let's not overreact to one result because we've been on a great run. We 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 have got and we could have won the game anyway, even if we we wouldn't have deserved to. But purely on chances, we could have won the game. And it's important to not throw the baby out with the bathwater. I saw some, I saw some comments of people going off on one players don't care enough, blah blah blah, having a go at various players like John Swift and uh, and uh, and Matt Phillips and people like that. And whilst yeah, critique the game, 
But let's not forget that people like Swift and Phillips have been excellent for five games. They weren't good last night. Rogic has been good for the last two. He wasn't good last night. But let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's keep let's keep a very measured approach to this because the the reality is if they'd come in any other order, if you'd played six games, won five, lost one, you wouldn't think there's a problem. It's just that the lost it's five in a row and then one defeat that was that was disappointing. Let's keep it in some level of uh, perspective. If we go on and lose to Bristol City and Preston and Reading, then yeah, obviously we've got a problem. But at the moment, while it's an isolated defeat, and the other thing to say, as I said at the top of this pod, credit to the opposition, because I don't think we'll come up against anyone who will come at us with the kind of energy that Coventry did last night. I seriously look at them. We said on the last pod, Pete, they were in a false position due to their games in hand. I think they're one of the best teams I've seen this season. I think they're a genuine threat to that uh, to the to the top six and should be if they can keep the players that they've got through January, they they should they should seriously be threatening the playoffs. They they I think they're not sure they'll have enough depth in the squad to get anywhere near automatic. But I think they should be. You know, I think we've we, we've lost to a team who, in the end, will be in the promotion shakeup. Is what I'm saying. I'd agree with everything you just said. Really, Coventry will be up there. Over the past seasons, they've improved, and Mark Robbins has done an excellent job. Their recruitment's been excellent, and they've got some brilliant players now. Uh, you know, we mentioned them all earlier, but so it's not a, it's in no way a disgrace losing to to Coventry. Um, as as we've both said, they're a very good side, and they'll be up there come the end of the season. And I don't think it's anything to worry about, really. Um, yeah, I think the players had off games. I think that was probably maybe the biggest. Um, issue is just that decision making wasn't quite right we weren't clinical enough when we had the chances to be um a threat even Rogic's big chance he well, obviously he didn't score it but on another day if he's a bit more clinical he scores with one too up. casual isn't he too casual yeah probably but you know I think that's kind of his game he was very casual when he scored against Sunderland so you're saying um, we're lucky he didn't try and Rabona it in <laughs> yeah probably but yeah you know it was I don't think it was an awful performance I think there was a few players that had a bit of an off game and and maybe you can question whether Corbyn got the selection right um I'm also not really holding it against him too much I think he set up well for the kind of game that played out um but we just didn't make the most of it so yeah it's I know we no means of an emergency or anything, you know, we'll see how the next few games go. And I, if I had to bet, then I would, you know, bet that we pick up at least one win in the next two or three, probably more. Yep. Well, let's hope for a, for a, for a win in the very next one, which will be on uh, on Boxing Day when we face Bristol City. Uh, Pete and I will be back to talk about that game after after the Bristol City game. As I say, another condensed pod like like we've done uh, today, which will be a similar sort of length in and around 30 minutes. So until then, first of all, from Pete and I, have a very Merry Christmas, all you baggies out there. I hope uh, it brings joy and happiness to you and all of your families. And let's uh, let's hope that we get a late Christmas present on Boxing Day and then we go into the new year in fabulous form. Until then, thanks for listening and up the baggies.
The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? Our participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.